0: Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about transforming systems and rewiring systems for systemic change. I'm delighted to welcome Joan Lurie, CEO of Organomics and expert on systems change. Joan, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. It's a pleasure. Thank you for accepting, uh, Joan. You help leaders and organisations to transform themselves and to function at their growing edge, integrating strategy, systems thinking, complexity, and devel- adult development theory. And this is where we met, a passion we both share, <laughs> helping leaders and people to unformat and reformat, if you like, both thinking and feeling, to reformat the way they show up in their systems and the way they interact with their systems, and you know for me this used to be a nice to have and since covid and the acceleration of the pandemic in terms of change it's become a necessary part of the way systems think and act and therefore the way leaders need to think and act you often talk about organizational ecology and i love this concept could you tell us more about organizational ecology what it is and what it means to you
1: yeah yeah, it's it's a very emergent idea for me. Mm-hmm. I think when I first kind of thought of it, I did do a Google search and organisational ecology as, an, as a concept has actually been used in the past, mm-hmm. but where it's been used is quite different and distinctive from how I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. So if someone posts this kind of Google's organisational... <laughs> They will find stuff about it, but it's much more looking at the markets and how organisations come together in a market sense. Mm. I think obviously that has a place, but when I kind of conceptualised it um, and the way I conceptualise it now is that it's looking at both internal to the organisation and the system and how that entity or organisation engages into other entities in a wider kind of market ecology or environmental ecology. Um, So it has both an internal lens and an external. It looks at kind of the whole. Mm -hmm. And why I kind of emerged this is a couple of reasons or how it emerged for me was If we look at the dominant sort of um, literature and the uh, assumptions that are held in most leadership and OD work, I think a lot of it is based on two kind of paradigms or two kinds of large sets of assumptions, Mm. one being more technical and one being more psychological. So if you think about it, how we try and improve our organisations work or how we try and fix them um, is through kind of technical means like the processes, uh, process improvement, you know, all of that kind of history, if we look back, restructures, changing reporting lines, you know, moving from decentralised to centralised, all these kind of, you know, models that we all know so well that mm. organisations move through and attempts at kind of fixing organizations which are more technically based, even skills based. Yeah. And then we can kind of jump a little bit to another paradigm which is much more about, oh, well, we can't see organizations purely through the technical lens because they're made up of people. So, we've got to look at the psychological kind of makeup Mm. of people and we have to use psychology and psychological assumptions and principles for how we get organizations to work better Mm. and so we've got this whole industry I think based on that assumption which is how do we kind of discover what is people's strengths what are their weaknesses and you know how their personalities work and so we um We look through the psychological lens and we seek to bring about change through changing the person or creating awareness around Mm. the person and, you know, shifting their personalities, their styles and stuff like that. Mm. What I realized through doing this work for 30 years is that whilst some of the more kind of systemic assumptions and complexity assumptions have been around, they certainly haven't taken hold in our practices or in the mainstream assumptions around how to work with organisations. They're really very much on the periphery. Mm. And I was trying to form some understanding of, well, what's going on in the system, that these principles and assumptions are there. Systemic principles and complexity principles have been adopted in many fields, yeah. but it's really not taking hold in organisations and or it's coming to organisational work. It's starting to grow um, some legs, I think, mm-hmm. and take but it's still very late and very slow.
0: But do you think and, it's because we're still in a fixing paradigm? So it's come back to what you were saying around technical fixing, but we're also in fixing human systems a little bit. So it's trying to put people, like you say, in sort of boxes and find out what their personality is and how they act and then fix it. Correct. Yeah.
1: And I think it's still, whether it's either one of those paradigms, they're both still in the reductionist paradigm. Yeah. So yeah. either technical looking at linear processes mm. or quite reductionist in the sense of look at the individual, mm. look what makes the individual tick, um, help the individual improve themselves. And if individuals get insight and are able to have self-awareness with huge industry around there they'll find some insight become enlightened get all the feedback they need and then in some miraculous way individuals will change and then the whole organization or the system will start to improve I mean even culture work which is supposed to sit at the more kind of collective level I think still is quite reductionist looking at individuals values and behaviors Mm. rather than actually looking at uh, behavior, uh, culture through a systemic lens. But, uh, and so we caught in this kind of reductionist, mechanistic uh, worldview. And, you know, I think we are, it's like a snake eating its tail in a way, because to break out of that paradigm, in many ways, we'd need to reframe our assumptions around what are organizations, how do they function, how does behavior emerge, or how does culture emerge in them. And we need to bring a new set of assumptions. Mm. um to our work, to our field. And you know, I think one of the things that I then thought would be really helpful for us to kind of disrupt mm. the field mm. is to start framing it with a news with a new language. Yeah. And, you know, if we keep talking about organizational psychology and we keep bringing this sort of training people, Mm. you know, in org psych and we keep talking about HR departments really focusing on people, then once you see it, you can't unsee it because it's sort of everything is talking about how to focus on people. We need to be more humanistic. We need to take care of people much better. You know, everything, even with good intent, the way Mm. we're talking about it is we don't have embedded in our practices or our assumptions the sense of how do we improve the system, what's going on in the system, how do Mm. we help people understand the relational things that are going on in the organisation. So we need to kind of create, I think, almost like a new field of practice with a new set of assumptions also with kind of new roles I think Mm. and this is where I kind of started emerging this idea that what if we created people who saw themselves as organizational ecologists
0: yeah I love that term yeah
1: Yeah. because it actually starts to reframe what our role is and what we're there to look at what we're there to discover what we're there to make sense of and then also what our work is you know mm. if we think we our work is to focus on the technical solutions or on people then actually it becomes a blind stop, spot for us because beyond those things there is actually the organizational system
0: yeah and, and we don't listen to it do we we don't listen to the system and we're shifting towards collective, which for me is becoming a sort of um, label now. Uh, we need to go collective or we need to be human centered, but we're still human centered in, in an individual way. And that's the way processes and systems are constructed in organizations today, isn't it? So I think it's the intention action gap. So the intention is collective and the action is very often individual. So, how do you see us, I think, the first reframing, but also rewiring how people think about these systems?
1: Well, yeah, this is what I'm playing with. And I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the things is that we start, well, maybe I'll take a step back. One of the um, assumptions about the ergonomics work, which is based on systemic principles, Mm -hmm. the idea that in order to bring about a change in a system or an organisation or a change in behaviour, you don't necessarily need to change the person who they are, what they're made of, uh, their personality, their style, their values. Actually, what you can look at is the role that people or that person has been gifted by the system or think they have or are taking up and Mm -hmm. reframe that role or get them to take up another role and actually behavior changes quite rapidly Mm -hmm. and the person remains the same. So one of the new assumptions that I think we need to bring is to start to think about organizations as networks of roles, role relations that have got into patterns of interaction and into patterns of relating. And learning to see those things and learning to see through that lens Mm. actually brings us a different way of making sense of what's going on in our organizations, but it's also quite freeing and liberating because it gives us a different way to intervene into organizations to bring about change. And Mm -hmm. I've been kind of applying these principles for 30 years now. And Mm -hmm. when I'm working with them inside organizations, we can see how change happens quite rapidly with less turbulence, less noise, and with more speed because we are not trying to change the person per se, we're working at the level of the system and in the role that the person is occupying or that a subsystem or entity is mm. occupying. And mm. so what I thought is, well, why wouldn't I apply that to how we disrupt our fields yeah. and go beyond organisation, not just practise it in organisation? So what if we reframe the role of leaders and of our HR people and HR teams and, you know, people that are, OD specialists, Mm -hmm. to not be focusing on people and people improvement or even organisational improvement like through structures and processes, but through being ecologists, being able to see the systemic patterns, the role relations, how the ecosystem is working like an ecology learn to see in that way, learn to diagnose that way. And so I reframed it and thought, well, actually, we need a field yeah. and a role, whether that's a formal role or not, it doesn't mm. have to be, where we actually see ourselves as ecologists because that changes everything. Absolutely. Ecologists look at interrelationships between mm. in ecosystems. I mean, the founder of ecology, that's how he defined it, was that it really looks at the whole and at the, Niches or subsystems or ecosystems in the ecology, and how they're positioned in relationship to Mm. each other so that the whole functions. So, Mm. we need to bring this lens to our organizations. And, you know, paradoxically, if we want to focus on being more human, we should focus more on the
0: system. And I think it's interesting because I'm hearing two different things. It's a completely different job in terms of skills and approach. And so it's a different lens, but it's also I'm hearing it's around collective identity, as opposed to me in the system. It's me and the system. So, right. so yeah. how, how can yeah? So how can HR and other functions, because it isn't just a HR job, is it? So so how how does that change that landscape, Joan? And how do you see particularly HR reacting to that?
1: Well, uh, it's interesting. I mean. You know, I, I think that some HR teams, some leaders and mm. as well, as you say, this is not, you know, now all HR people must become yeah. organisations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a kind of role or a set of principles or heuristics that I think leaders can take on or HR in yeah. their roles can take on. Mm. And I think, you know, some are very, very open to it. Like I'm getting a lot of resonance for it. And I'm already working with quite a few organisations and HR teams mm-hmm. to start to think about um, how they function through this lens. It isn't work that's new to me. It's work that I've done with organisations for a long time. Yeah. But it's just a kind of framing, a new framing that I've brought mm. to. Typically I would say, well... You know, we're bringing a systemic lens, we're bringing a complexity lens, yeah. let's observe the system and we can't kind of solve systemic issues using interpersonal means, yep. which is what most organisations are trying all the time. So it's not really, the messaging is not new, but the framing of it in, is new and there is quite a lot of resonance for it. And I'm, I'm hoping that framing it this way will actually help us make progress on yeah bringing this kind of new lens and new set of practices to the field because, my goodness, we have tried, you know, for, for <laughs> yeah. a couple of decades now. I mean, Russell Ackoff, Peter Senghi, you know, they've been yeah. different people. And, of course, there are issues with different systemic methodologies. Of course. Yeah. Um, And I think often, you know, because Peter Senghi's work was so strong in with the learning organisation, often you say, let's do systems thinking work, people go, oh, you know, you mean Peter Senghi's work. and There isn't a distinction between systems dynamics and systems thinking. Yeah. And, you know, uh, helping to – I just feel that this will help make some of those distinctions. So – yeah, and, and help us accelerate it so that people get it. It's a different way of thinking about organisations. It's not system dynamics. It's not system psychodynamics like the Tavistock work, yeah, et cetera, yeah. which has a place, of course. I'm not mm. saying any of these frames are wrong or bad. They're just different frames within a systemic paradigm. And I think sometimes we get caught up in those models and those methodologies. Mm. And I'm hoping that this new framing will kind of liberate us from those things
0: and bring a new new space for us. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the human system of an organisation. That's that's what what I call it. But I like the fact that it's basically giving us um, a little bit like when you go to the opticians, a pack of lenses uh, through which we can see the human systems of an organisation and the repercussions of those relationships in terms of how they work. But we very quickly revert to type in terms of let's improve that continuously. I need to fix it. I need to see the solution. It needs to be tangible. And it's very much the Bob Keegan work, isn't it, behind technical change and adaptive change. And I think this is an adaptive challenge, isn't it, which is always uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think you always will get people who get excited by that, like yourself, like myself, and there are lots of people like that in organisations, but organisation, so that's a muscle that they're developing, if you like. Um yeah. but Systems also have a muscle, don't they, like muscle memory. So, so how do you you see these people who are excited to look through different lenses counter the antibodies, in inverted commas, of the system muscle memory? Because I came up against it so much when I was in an organization and now I'm helping organizations do the same thing and I'm sure you come up against it regularly. You know, What's your experience on helping people break through or break that muscle memory down a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a great question. You know, I think that there are certain practices for how we can kind of meet the system where it is.
0: Yeah, which is a big ask, uh, isn't it, really? (laughs) That's quite a big ask. ask.
1: (laughs) It is a big ask. I think one of the most important kind of principles is that we don't make the system bad or wrong. Yes. And so we don't kind of meet it with resistance yeah, I think one of the key principles we need to introduce initially is that this is a new pair of glasses. This is um, a different way of seeing, a new way of seeing, you know, and invite people in organisations to try it on mm. and to experiment with it rather than say here's the panacea, here's this new solution Are we going to kind of drop it in because everything that's come before that you know is bad or wrong, It's it's sort of – practicing the adaptive toolkit mm. and saying, you know, here's a potential new way of seeing, and I do talk about this, like here, here's a new pair of glasses mm. it's going to get a new lens. You're going to maybe discover things or see things you didn't see before. And it's an invitation to try them on mm. and it's an invitation to practice. So I think that's a really important principle that we invite people into the experimentation mm. with us. Now, that's tricky in itself because mostly, as we know, leaders are looking to consultants to come and bring them the The fixes, inviting them into experimentation. Mm. And where you don't exactly know what the solution is, is breaking the paradigm in itself. And my experience is that if we start with small experiments, safe tests where Mm. they can discover that this work and this lens can be useful to them, that's where I usually, you know, begin. It is a big kind of shift. I do remember once, you know, many conversations, but this one really stands out like as we're talking, you know, of working with a CEO who had tried many, many things and he's with his executive team like, you know, new skills, a CRM system, new processes to address mm. what was the presenting problem and everything they were doing repeatedly was Kind of stayed, kept them staying where they were, mm. so he knew had to try something different. But still, in the first conversation with meeting with me, he wanted to like know where my brochures were, yeah, deliverables, uh, where, and <laughs> where were the you know yeah where were the deliverables where were the outcomes? And I was like, well, I can't tell you any of that because I don't. We, you, and I, I certainly don't have any mm. not knowledge about how your system is functioning at this mm. point in time people are so, leaders are so used to being sold solutions by consultants. Like we know how to fix this best practice, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really, that's where we're beginning, right? The repatterning of the role relations between consultants and leaders yeah, around helping break that pattern. That How would consultants know yeah. um, based on something that's happened in another organization, best practice, that that's what is here? And we go, you know, consultants go in, blind, when they have no systemic um, understanding. And so I think a lot of this pattern is maintained and co-created by consultants offering the solutions, and that's why I want to disrupt the field. Consultants, as much as leaders in organisations, have to give up how they've taken up the role as well, I think. Absolutely. you know, We have to disrupt ourselves yes. as much as we have to create this disruption in organizations. Mm. But, you know, I, I do clearly remember he had just met another consultant who left him some glossy brochures explaining how they were going to roll out the solution that was going to be the panacea and the fix for him. And he was looking for the same to me. And... You know, I have to be I had to be really honest and work really closely with the head of HR mm. to say to him, we don't know what the solution is. We've got to begin with discovery.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: And so step in, you know, to the water is well, just give me a chance to come in and work with you to discover what mm. may be going on mm. before we even think about what the fix or the solution is. So that those two principles I think you know not mm. making them bad or wrong inviting them into trying on the glasses giving them some stories which mm. they can kind of anchor back to and they can kind of make sense in their environment not to copy but to kind of relate to mm. and then inviting them into the discovery with with me and inviting them into role of discoverer yeah. not fixer not solution on mm. either of us but to join together in a system of co-discovery of what is going on in the system how is it functioning what is the current assumptions or sense making that's there that might be the systemic constraint mm. Um, mm. and that's where i often begin
0: and i really and I, I love that discussion around consultants because consulting is changing massively because clearly organizations are changing and the world is evolving but I think that's really us walking our talk, you know, in emergencies to go, okay, these are the first steps and we will see what comes out. It also comes back to your point about meeting the system where it's at, because I also think one size fits all solutions don't work, and the only way of creating the model that works for an organisation is to create it with them, but you can't do that, of course, until you've sat in that place of discovery, and we're constantly up against the busyness bias, aren't we, (laughs) leaders need to be busy, and therefore they want to see solutions and how long will it take and, you know, how many people and do I need to train people? And it's a linear process, if you like.
1: Very linear. Yeah. And also their role being defined, often co-created by the board, say.
0: Yeah. For example, yeah.
1: if we're working with senior leadership teams, yeah. just say, you know, <clears throat> how are you going to fix this? Yeah, you know, sure tell time. me how you're going to – so the role of leader until now – has been to be the fixer, yep. to come up with solutions. You know, that's why we're paying you, to be yes. the technical experts or to manage the people. You know, we're not inviting leaders into being system leaders to kind of discover the system, shift the system, create space for the system to kind of reorganize itself into new pattern. All of that language, like I'm just going yep. back to you, You will find that nowhere in the textbooks. You'll find that nowhere embedded in the current language of organizations. Mm. So leaders are given that role to be the fixer. And so they seek that if they can't fix it themselves. They'll go out of the boundary of the organization to consultants to help them take up that Mm. role. Mm. And that's co-created everywhere in the system. Like we step back and observe that pattern consultants are complicit with it leaders step into it because they think that's their role boards co-create that you know and I say you know you often hear this Susie sometimes even in like some of the tropes in organizations like don't bring me the problem bring me the solution solution. (laughs) don't we hear that all the time it's like oh I'm being so great I'm empowering my people not to come and you know so it's like it gets passed down and down and down because you know great leaders empower their people to don't give them the answer they tell them to come back to them with the answer we have to give up some of these kind of implicit assumptions some of these tropes that have just kind of dropped in and live in our organizations you know Mm. why can it be I don't I'm not looking for an answer come back and share with me how you think the systems work currently what's What's the sense-making? How are people, what assumptions are being held? How are people seeing their roles? You come back and tell me and share your hypotheses with me. That's inviting a different role. It's inviting a different description. Mm -hmm. But we are, like, nowhere near that being
0: the invitation in organisations, right, Um, to to the work. And I think Mm -hmm. if it was, Joan, I mean, I have seen quite a senior leader turn around to his team and say, don't bring me problems, bring me ideas
1: bring me ideas and and,
0: yeah. and they didn't they, they were just a little bit nonplussed clearly yeah. they they did but it took them quite some time to get their head around don't bring me problems bring me ideas because they were expecting solutions as as they ask and effectively effectively it was ideas but I think bring me ideas bring me assumptions that you think the system is working on running on I mean that's quite an adaptive process isn't it so which brings me to the leadership piece because I think this is so different in terms of leadership and we've already touched on it the existing paradigms and myths I like about leadership you know strong leaders are busy unvulnerable etc etc I'm going to the other extreme now for exaggeration for emphasis but it is a new type of leadership and what do you what do you see as the biggest change in the skill set for leaders there? I
1: mean I think this is Yeah, absolutely critical. And if you kind of come back to my assumption around role changes behavior, you know, as long as it's being held either individually or collectively in the system that the role of leaders to be the technical expert, the fixer, the even, you know, some of those other newer kind of emergent roles like Mm. the coach, um, leader as coach, you know, mm. all of those things, I, I, if those are kind of the roles that are, kind of are held in the system, then we're not going to make progress. I think the most, one of the most important role reframes that we need in the field and to mm. help individual leaders as well as the, the discussion around leadership to kind of um, be reframed around is system leadership. That the role of leader is not to manage problems or to manage people, but the role of leader is to, you know, manage the system, and not manage as in a control the system, Mm. but manage the system in that it's there. Or to be system leaders is to create the space for the system to become visible. For teaching, you know, them in terms from a skills perspective, how to see and diagnose systems, how to see themselves in role in system. Because one of the most thing I see so often, Susie, is if, if leaders think their role is to fix, then if I ask them, okay, like, you know, step into discovery with me and let's diagnose the system. Let's begin to generate some hypotheses. 99% of the time they will talk about what's happening, what people are doing inside the organization. The description of system does not include them. They don't include self in that description. So even just the shift around learning to know that you're never not of the system, that when you're diagnosing the system, Um, Mm. You are diagnosing self in system. You're almost like in a meta observer position. You don't take yourself out of the system. Helping them step into being able to see systems, their role in it, diagnose and discover that or create space in the organization to look at the relations and how Mm. the relations are working rather than to be kind of analytical and look for root cause and where the problem is, that some of those are the role reframes that I think we need to bring in and some of the toolkits, which would be the scaffold to help leaders, you know, step into this this new role. Because, of course, you know, when you begin that work, what what do you mean by system leader? That's a completely new concept, right? And what does that actually look like? What would I be doing differently? And very much as well, how would my description of the problem or you know, where we're heading look different. So um, giving them different forms of description, I think, which is about relational and contextual description Mm. rather than description about what the problem is. So often I hear if I say to leaders, you know, what's going on in the system, as very early on when we bring this work, when we start doing the work I will hear the kind of usual tropes again, like we don't trust each other. There's a lack of trust. There's, you know, bad communication. I I could write those in before I go in the room, you
0: know,
1: because that's the implicit stuff that leaders have learned or that people in the organisation have learned about how to frame what the problem is. We can talk about the symptom. We can analyse and look for root cause about what, in some linear way, is causing it. But we haven't yet learned systemic description which is to talk about how each part of the system is taking up their roles, how the role relations are working, Mm. what is the patterning Mm. in the system, and how is that being held collectively Mm. in kind of co-created ways. So Mm. we're really learning, helping leaders as they step into the role of system leader, learn a new language,
0: Mm.
1: learn a new form of description in order to be able to take up this role of system leader and help the system, you know, that they are a part of create the space to kind of emerge in new ways and reorganize themselves in
0: new ways. It's new cognitive processes, though, as well, isn't it? You know, it's taking a step back and thinking, okay, what implicit assumptions are in my system, whether that's my team, whether that's my department, whether that's, you know, all the communities I work with within my organisation. And I think the implicit assumptions of culture, organizational culture is often something that drives the symptoms and what we're seeing and what they're bringing to us, like lack of trust, this, that. But it's never really, we never get down to that bottom level. And what I really like about your methodology and the organizational ecologist discussion is that you have to go down to what I call the grassroots level and start questioning what you're hearing from the system. But, of course, you have to listen to the system first and I think it's very difficult to yeah I'm going to use the word convince to convince busy leaders to take the time to sit and do nothing as they say (laughs) Uh, and I would I would love your take on how you get them away from busyness and into a space both physically cognitively and emotionally where they can actually interact with you on this subject and and sit with what's coming out of the system?
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, people often ask me this question and I think, you know, often there's two things happening and Mm. I think both are happening more and more. So that's... (laughs) That's that's good thing. (laughs) I think the context now is helping us a little bit because where I'm invited into organisations is... Often because they have heard about the work from somewhere else. Okay. And so it's like, well, we have a similar problem. And, you know, this H- head of HR or this CEO came and told me about it. And, you know, I'm re- there's a curiosity yeah. that I want some of what they got. Yeah. So it is it is through actually the stories of what other par- or other organizations have mm. got from mm. stepping into the discovery, from finding out what is their unique kind of systemic patterning and dynamic, yeah. what is the unique sense-making in that system that helped break them out of their constraints. It's not to say that it's a lift and shift, but mm. but they could start to relate to say, actually, I want to do some of what you did in there rather than come and give me that their solution, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it does so make there good. is a referral, more and more referral happening that as, as we kind of get traction with the work, it's going more and more viral because mm. people are discovering that there are ways out. So I think that's one thing. Another is that often they have so, their leaders are desperate because they've had three years of transformation. Yeah,
0: yeah. in transformation
1: <laughs> programs, they've invested huge amounts of money in big transformation, linear pr- transformation programs. And yet they're still in the same place, sometimes maybe in a worse place, mm. and so they are ready for something else, because they just you know they, they can't keep trying the same thing they've tried them.
0: No.
1: you know they've been in Groundhog Day for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you know the pool is coming from both of those those mm. places, and so there is a readiness often when clients you know, engage me or or invite me in, there is a readiness there mostly Mm. um, to begin to try something different and to step into the experimentation. Um, Mm. And I I always kind of start small um, with, well, let's just kind of begin with understanding how you're seeing the problem. What assumptions are you making? How do you see your role Mm. in the system? If it's with an individual leader or with a part of the system, you know, that I'm working with, I just start with that as a subsystem. Or if it's with a CEO and an executive team, we will pick one business challenge or mm-hmm. an area where they feel particularly stuck and we just use that as the container, um, that what I call like the container zone mm-hmm. to practice and try it on. So, again, it's not like we're coming into the organisation and saying everything you've done historically is wrong, we are just looking for spaces and places where we can try it on and experiment and often finding a business challenge or a part of the system where we can have a play with Mm. this in a way which feels not too risky. Mm. And once The work speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Once Mm. they actually start the work, they start to see things they didn't see before, they discover things that they didn't know were right in front of them, and actually as that reframing or discovery starts to take hold, the intervention has begun Mm. because the system already is not where it was.
0: Yeah, and I think that the hybrid working model that is now emerging provides us with a great opportunity, if I take the curiosity lens, <laughs> to look at what we could do differently, what they could do differently, what they what we could co-create, what how they could sense their systems differently. But I think there's also a school of thought where hybrid can be so transactional if we let it, that we're almost cutting off the relational part of systems work. So what are you seeing? I'd be really interested in your thoughts on that, the hybrid model, which is emergent for me, but isn't emergent for everyone. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think you. That's so fascinating, and I think you're so right. I actually just did a podcast two weeks ago um, with Margie Hartley, and I posted it yesterday on LinkedIn, looking at this exact question. Because <laughs> I'll send you, I'll send you the link to it, Susie, because I think one of the things, my hypothesis is that actually this, exactly what you're saying, the the question of how we reframe workplace and redefine what the workplace is and what our kind of find new ways of being in this new world of work um, or in this current world of work, we could really use this as a place to build the complexity muscle and to build the systemic muscle and to break out of the kind of technical, linear, binary, simple solutioning. But if I look across the board, and I don't know if your experience. But across the board, in the main, there are a couple of things happening which are absolutely truing the system. One is that the solutions are being developed by a small group of management at the top of the organisation, feeling like it's their role and it's their prerogative to put the solution into the system. Same process. (laughs) Same. And and then the assumptions that that group of people are making, and, of course, it is somewhat of their prerogative, yeah. but the assumptions they're holding is, I think, in the main, that you need a one-size-fits-all um, solution to be fair to the system. You know, what we've got to put in is, you know, something that is like the average that's going to work for everybody. Yeah. And I see two kind of key binary solutions coming down you know, like the manner from heaven. One mm. is, you know, everybody back in the office or this is the way we're going to do hybrid. You know, people can do four days a week in the office and one day flex or something like that. So like those are the things. Or it's like everybody can work from home and choose what they want. So it's like the, there are these kind of three options. And of course, because we look for simple solutions yeah. that work for the whole, and you just see the system playing out in relation to this challenge. But what if we said, actually, every context is, is slightly different, every team or part of the system might require something different,
0: mm. and
1: what if we try to say that we put in some kind of broad heuristics like, you know, certain boundaries that would maintain the system, but actually then we allowed each subsystem or each part of the organisation to think about what it is, the nature of their work, the nature of their home lives, and to actually contract amongst each other to understand their own context, to understand each other's context, and to come to a place where they could figure out and contract what
0: works for them. That sounds fabulous I'm just going to leave a minute for our listeners to take that in because that would be a great experiment to go back with why are
1: we experimenting with that you know because mm. I think the theory is like that's too hard that's unfair you know we'll get too many solutions it's going to take too long so let's just grasp at the simple things but actually how liberating would it be <laughs> if you can actually use this problem mm. uh, this adaptive challenge yeah to learn our way into contextual thinking, into relational thinking, to build this muscle, to look for more local solutions and to help build the empathy that sits in the local context for what is unique to us and our (laughs) system and to give the the sort of ability and ownership for that Mm. at the more subsystem kind of level. Not, Not at the individual level, everybody can get to choose, Neither at the kind of, there's one size fits all, Mm. but really something much more complex, much more relational, much more contextual. One of the things that I think is really important about why this would be an amazing way to experiment, and I put this on LinkedIn, and apparently there are a couple of organisations that are starting to do this, which I think would be really fascinating to follow. Yeah. But I think... You know what we could learn in these contexts is learn to ask questions about other people's context don't assume because mm. you are a two-income family with no children that your context and what you need is what someone else needs because there's a single mother at home mm. um, you know bring a or um you know a family of five like learn to invite other people's contexts in and learn to be able to contract for what works for you but for other and find mm. ways of contracting together mm. for how you can work as a system. Mm. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing yeah. if we could actually deliberately use this time and this problem to learn relational intelligence and
0: contextual intelligence and stuff like that? And,
1: yeah, uh, I just think it's a missed opportunity
0: if we if we mm. don't. And I think it's incredibly exciting. It's a great opportunity to build organisational empathy. And, you know, therefore you're designing for inclusion. So you're building a space where people will feel included, feel that they belong, and will be able to bring their mix to the table, if you like. And I really like the idea of organisations starting to play with that as a way of being. Let's put, Let's put it that way. Time is running. I can you tell us what your most transformational story is about the work that you do in this area? What should pick Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's encouraging.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is, you know, the the this is the thing that I think when you're in complexity and you've got complex adaptive challenges, this work is liberating and yeah. it does help you quite practically get commercial results. Yes. But also change the interpersonal relationships and the culture of the mm. organisation. But those things emerge mm. as a result of doing the work. They're not the things that you step into to fix a kind of what I call the first-order level, right? Mm. Doing the second-order work is liberating and it does emerge different outcomes if you're mm. able to do the work.
0: Yeah. And sit in that space. You know,
1: obviously, there are times when the system is unable to get itself out of the slackness. Mm. I, I think there are, you know, two stories that come to mind. One, if I just sort of tell the one, I think it was an organisation where the they were continuously losing market share in a shrinking market. They had tried many, many things to address it over mm. the years And a lot of what they had tried were technical solutions, training program for their salespeople, CRM systems, so new technology, Mm -hmm. one restructure after another, a lot of cost-out exercises. And the head of HR at one point when the CEO invited her to do another restructure and another cost-out because the mothership organization and the board were saying you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Um, you know, that contracting we were talking about. So like, well, the something I'm gonna do is another cost out. So it makes us feel like we're doing something. (laughs) She she said, no, I'm not doing another one. And you know, I think that's very important message to HR teams that it's very easy. And I was actually with a client earlier today where, you know executive teams will come to you, they'll tell you what they need and what they want, and HR feel like they need to be reactive to that and provide the service and Mm. ask for, you know, give them what they're asking for. Mm. But it takes a lot of role discipline to kind of not get caught in that pattern and to put Mm. a boundary in place. And Mm. a lot of this work when you're working with systems is to think about where you're co-creating, where the complicit co-creation or where you're not holding the boundary, uh, where you're stepping in, missing the boundary of saying no. Mm. And I think, you know, what's inspiring about the story is that sometimes we feel like systems are so powerful. How could I take up a role Mm. to change it? But actually in this instance, with her saying no and putting the boundary in, then she was able to bring about a dramatic change in that mm. system because mm. she changed her role in the organisation from being reactive service provider to being a system disruptor.
0: Mm.
1: And I think, you know, we have to help HR teams yep. step out of the role of being reactive service providers, which they Absolutely. are put in the yes. system them in many cases and we have to help parts of the system see to what degree are they in complicit not with bad intent often with good intent to be helpful Mm -hmm. they are system maintenance so I love the story because it begins with one individual in the system being able to shift her role put a boundary in place and therefore pull the whole system in a new direction based on that um, the CEO at the time, said to her, well, you've got like two weeks to come up with something else because he said, to her, well, what are we going to do instead? <laughs> and she she said, um, I don't know. I don't
0: know And yet. <laughs> this
1: again, you know, you can hear through all this description mm-hmm. that, you know, she was not the solution provider. Mm-hmm. She, was, she, she was able to say, I don't know, which is very important when we're faced with an adaptive systemic challenge yeah. to say, well, I don't know yet what the answer mm. is, and so not that that that's quite hard to do as well yes. when we've got organisations that are wired to give people fix it solution experts, you know whether it's HR experts or tech mm. experts.
0: I don't so, think it's hard to hold boundaries, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, that's a whole different podcast almost. But we'll just hold different yeah. podcast,
1: I think because people will say, mm. "Well, what are some of the kind of anchors around this work?" And I say, "Well, mental maps." What assumptions or mental maps are running and how do you reframe those? What boundaries are being held in the system or not held which are keeping the system where it is? Mm. What roles are people taking up which need to be shifted? What is the pattern of relations between entities or subsystems that need to be repatterned? And so these are all critical levers for us to think about Boundaries, patterns, role, relations, rules of engagement. What's the implicit contracting that needs to shift? Where are the mental maps that need to be reframed? This is the new methodology. This is the way of thinking about how we bring about change in organizations, right? Mm. And it's based on this idea that actually organizations are complex networks of meaning-making, roles, relations, in patterns of interaction. If we can hold that assumption, then we can start to look at, well, what's going on in this network of roles, relations, patterns of interaction, and how do we then shift those that network of roles and relations and mental maps and meaning making? If we can start to ask those questions and disrupt the ways those have come together, not because anyone's necessarily bad or wrong, because mm-hmm. that's just what has emerged in a system. At a point in time, then we can help the system move beyond those five things reset boundaries, shift the patterns of relating, reframe mental maps, step into different roles. But this head of HR, she did that intuitively. And then we started to work together because she took me then to meet the CEO. And I invited him and his executive team to try on the glasses, to think about you know, how to do the work. And Mm. nine months later, they were in organic growth for the first time in 17 years. They were meeting budget every month, which they hadn't done for years, and they were well ahead of where they wanted to be in budget. But the noise between people, the interpersonal conflict had magically disappeared, and the culture was, was shifting it's because they were able to step into this work Mm. that they were able to reset how they worked as a system, how the different parts or entities of the organisation came together in their roles in relation to each other Mm. and they reorganised themselves. We just created the space through the discovery process to make visible to them how things were and to help them reset how things were. Mm. in a different way and they got a completely different result so that's one of my favorite stories but there are many like that Mm. uh, Susie so I hope that's an invitation to people to to try on the glasses and to just step into the practice you know Mm.
0: with experimentation with curiosity it absolutely is. And I now don't need to ask the question I was going to ask, which is what would be your call to action for leaders <laughs> looking, to get, looking to start with this? But that is, thank you for sharing that story. One, it's a fabulous story. Two, it's a great outcome. And three, there's lots of actionable things in there that I'm going to leave our listeners with that they can start small with. Just trying on the glasses and, and looking differently into their system and the relationships within that Joan, we've come to an end of the time. Thank you very, very much for coming and sharing your methodology, your experience, your research. Where can people find out more about what you do?
1: At my website um, Mm -hmm. or connect with me on LinkedIn. I am in the process of developing a new website. So my current website's looking a little tired and missing stuff. Um, But I'm not... Fixing it and um, I'm creating a new one. So that should be out sort of mid April or so, mid to end of April. Um, and there'll be, you know, a lot more available there. But it is definitely a starting point and definitely connect with me on LinkedIn because I'm often sort of posting ideas and, and thoughts there, you know, inviting dialogue and conversation. So that would be a way. And otherwise, just feel free to reach out by email but
0: that's on the website as well. So, Okay, excellent. Thank you. I'll leave our listeners with that invitation to not only go and think and try out things in their organization, but also to come back for help and inspiration. Thanks, Susie. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and all the learning it brought to you. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your review and your feedback. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.